there's a slight difference between how, how do I make this business work for me versus how do I scale the business? And that right. transformation, some people, I would say probably a, a third of the people kind of know it and they just, they need help and they've, you know, they need some guidance and they do want to go there and they, they, it's just a process they need to go through. Probably a third of the people, it's a little bit of a surprise, but once they get kind of through the surprise, they, they embrace it and they want to do it. And there's a third of the people that are, as they realize it, they're like, nah, uh, like, I don't want to do that. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss, show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I am speaking with badass business owner, Bruce Eckfeldt. After building, scaling, and selling his own technology consulting firm in 2003, Bruce became a strategic coach and advisor to early stage CEOs and their leadership teams. He hosts two podcasts, Scaling Up Services and Thinking Outside the Bud, and he writes weekly for Inc.com on leadership and strategic business growth. Bruce is another one of those powerhouse entrepreneurs that I know through the EO network, and I always get inspired when I talk to him. So I'm excited to share his wisdom and decades of experience. Plus, he's really settled into a life where he just gets to play in business and pick and choose projects that he wants to work on of all different kinds. And that's pretty much my dream. So I like to hang out with people like that. So buckle up. Here we go. Bruce, so much to talk about. So uh, my audience is mostly small service businesses. So, you know, yep. you're about scaling businesses, service businesses, and yep. you and I have spoken at the same events even yeah. about the same topic. And I'm always wishing I could go to yours, but I'm in the other room. Yeah, and we're talking about the same topic, but I know we're talking about it in completely different ways, sure. yeah. especially given your background, building this successful company and selling it and scaling. Well, what, what do you, who do you typically work with? Like how many people were in your company when you sold it? Yeah. When we, when I sold it, we had about 60, maybe 70 people between New York and Boston. The, the challenge was mo most of those people were remote, meaning that we had development teams that we would put on site. So in terms of the home office, there was really only 10 of us, 12 of us. That was part of kind of the office. So yeah. most of our people were really people that were on client site working and, and developing, which on one hand made it easier, on the other hand made it much harder, right? Like having a company which was so distributed. Uh, and in fact, I think a lot of the, lot of the reasons that I've found the last you know 12 months 14 months so interesting is because i've spent so much time working with remote teams and distributed remote employees distributed teams that you know i'm just i'm back in the saddle <laughs> in terms right. of what i was doing you know a little over a decade and a half ago so yeah when i mean it makes sense for your for your space because it you were sending it consultants out yeah, on, on yeah. site that we were, was the we had these super high-end experienced developers that would go in and transform these companies development teams right we, we went into companies that had 100 100 developers and we would put a couple of our developers in there and they would basically seed teams with agile lean agile methodology and kind of teach them train them expose them to this and then we would sort of infect the rest of the teams and we would over that process convert them or transform them into a lean agile organization so in that business that you sold mm -hmm. you were actually operating in many ways also as a coach and consultant training yeah. all of these people yeah. to go out so 
doing a lot of the same thing you're doing now, but just yeah. in your own business with exactly. a specific space. Yeah, I've, I've been in kind of coaching, organizational development, change management for probably two decades now. If I kind of yeah. look back on the work that I've been doing, it's just the context has changed, what we've been focused on has changed, but all the kind of underlying psychological dynamics of how do people change, why do people change, why do people not change, what does the change process look like, like all that is pretty similar. And, and, and quite honestly, the work that I do with leadership teams now, you know, it's not that different. It's just we're, we're focusing on different things and the work we're doing is a little different, but sort of the context and the, the process that they're going through is very, very similar. One of the kind of philosophies or structures that I try to give a senior leadership as, as they're growing and scaling, they need to think like a coach when it comes to developing their people, right? And if they're not developing their people, they're not going to scale. I, I, I do this kind of exercise where <laughs> I, I kind of go around the leadership team and, and I say, look, you know, we're going to grow this company. If we're going to grow this company, we have to grow you. We have to grow the roles. And if, if you can't grow, we've either got to find someone to replace you or hire someone over you. Right. So, you know, let it be known now that, you know, if we're going to if we're going to scale, you've got to scale. And if you're not able, willing or interested in scaling, then, you know, then, then that's that's going to be an issue. Right. And so it, the more that the team and I mean, I work pretty intimately with the CEO and what I tell them is, look, you've got to grow your people. You've got to grow your leadership team and the leadership team has to grow, grow its middle management because if they don't, they're never going to scale the company. So what do they think you mean when you say you're going to have to grow? <laughs> well, it, it somewhat it depends on 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 the business, where they're at now, where they want to be. But, you know, but a lot of it is that there the things that got you here. Right. That the skills, techniques, capabilities are probably going to be a hindrance at the next level. So you've got to A, figure out what that new model is, but more importantly, B, you, you've got to let go of the things that you've held on to and valued very highly to get you where you are today. And, and that can be hard, particularly for like if I'm working like what? with them. Well, yeah, give us an example. So the classic is if I'm working with a CEO who happens to be, he or she is a, a highly technical expert in a particular field. So a technologist, a lawyer, uh, accountant, you know, someone who has risen, who, who has done well and has built the business because of their expertise. In order to get the business to the next level, a lot of times they need to let go of how they define themselves, their value, their self-worth by being the expert, because they've got to let go of doing the work. And if they can't let go of that, it's going to be a bottleneck, right? We're not going to be able to scale the business. And oftentimes we'll have a conversation, which is like, what do you want to do, right? Do you, do you want to scale the business? In which case we've got to make some changes or do you really love doing the work that you do, which is fine. So either we need to move you into kind of a technical expert role, right? We're going to move you into some kind of research and development, or we're going to, you're going to be the, the Uber expert, you know, for the company on this, or, or you're going to keep the company the way it is, right? And, and we can we can figure out how to optimize it, and we can make it you know super profitable, and we can put a lot of money in your pocket. But we're not going to scale, right? We're not going to scale the business because if you if you want to go from you know 50 people to 500 people, you know leadership positions in a 500 person organization is primarily around strategy and team development, right? There's there's very little operating the business at that level. So if that's not interesting, and that's not if they can't build. Uh, model for their self-worth around that type of role, then we probably shouldn't go there. Working with much smaller businesses, I find that there's a lot of talk about, oh, I want to scale. I don't want to be doing the work anymore. But I don't think there's any recognition of that means you're going to have to do a completely different job and learn a completely new set of skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it can go a couple different ways. I mean, I think there's 
there's definitely a model which is, hey, I, I don't, I don't really want to do the work anymore. I want to hire people to do the work, and and I really want to be, you know, in the business 10, 20 hours a week, and you know, I just want to have make money on it, and I, I don't, yeah, I, I want to make good. it highly profitable, <laughs> and I want, yeah, I want to put cash in my pocket, but I don't necessarily want to scale the business, and I think there's a slight difference between how, how do I make this business work for me versus how do I scale the business, and and we can make the business work for you by you know, giving you a lot of freedom and giving you a lot of time and not having to work day to day and, you know, putting in processes and people that are going to, you know, create cash where you can do other things, right? You can start other businesses, you can focus on other interests, right? You, you can just not have to work very much, right? There's lots of ways you can do that, which is kind of getting you out of the business. But, they, but that's different than saying, hey, we need to get you out of the day to day because, we need to go from 50 to 500 people. And that is, we need to get you focused on strategy. We need to focus you external. We need to figure out partnerships. We need to raise money. Th- those things are not day-to-day delivery, but but there's still a lot of work, right? And and that right. transformation, some people, I, I would say probably a, a third of the people, rough, rough percentages, third of the people kind of know it and they just, they need help and they've, you know, they need some guidance and they do want to go there and they, they, it's just a process they need to go through. Probably a third of the people, it's a little bit of a surprise, but once they get kind of through the surprise, they, they embrace it and they want to do it. And there's a third of the people that are, as they realize it, they're like, nah, uh, like, I don't want to do that. Right. Either I want to, I want to make it a, a cash cow, right. I want to figure out how to get out of the business day to day and not have to do other things. Or, or I just, I kind of like what I'm doing. Right. I kind of like the size I'm at. Maybe I've got 20, 30 people, I'm working, you know, it's reasonable hours, but I'm working hard and I'm working with clients and every once in a while I'm in delivery and I have to sell a little bit, but you know, it's a nice lifestyle. I'm making money and they're happy with it. That's interesting. How, how can we apply this to a smaller business? Yeah. So I'm, I'm an independent coach, right? I affiliate with scaling up. I affiliate with three hag. I affiliate with predictive index, right? Like I have all these connections that I have that either are you know, kind of affiliation with a brand. But yeah, at the end of the day, I run my own show. And, and that was a very conscious choice that I made after selling my business is, you know, I, I wanted, I mean, I'll call it a lifestyle business, right? I wanted something that I could run. I mean, I've got a team of, you know, EAs, VAs that, you know, run my podcasts and help me with all my appointments and scheduling. And, you know, I've I figured out how to sort of delegate or offload a lot of the things that I don't like doing about running a kind of a, a small practice, but it's me. Right. And I have no, I, I've very consciously decided not to kind of bring other coaches into this model and, and things like that. So, which is a choice, right? And it, it was a strategic choice that I made. Now I have, I have other, other things that I do that are more business building, but they're, I'll say, very independent from my coaching practice. You know, there are other, other things that I do and invest in stuff that have, you know, what sort of wealth building opportunities, but it's not, it's not about scaling the coaching practice. I think that your current business that you operate is more closely aligned with a lot of the people that are listening yeah. there. It's a, a combination of, well, I, I'm not trying to scale and become a 500 person company, nor mm-hmm. am I even a position really to be talking about that because I'm still figuring out what my product and offer and marketing and all of that is. But the goal is really to offload some of it so that you're not doing everything yeah. and you can really be in the business and, and do the lifestyle and have the opportunity and the cash to do yeah. other things as well. I mean, that's yeah. kind of where I am with it too. Would you say that that's kind of like a getting to there, even if that's not your ultimate goal, getting to there is a stepping stone, even if you did want to build and scale, like don't you have to really 
perfect the business first before you start to get yourself out of it so you can become this leadership person where you're building this executive team and all of that. You can't just skip over that, right? Can you? I would say a lot of the work that you have to do, thinking you need to kind of process, decisions you need to make are, are very, very similar. It's just how you use those could either go towards okay, how do I optimize kind of a, a solo practice versus how do I scale the business? That, that's then a choice once you do these things. And I, the kind of joke that I use a lot is that the faster you want to scale a business, the more you need to focus, right? And so a lot of it is just about how do you make some good strategic choices? And I, I will always say that, you know, a, a good solopreneur kind of practice, you know, people that make it to say $100,000, you know, they figured out like the five or six things they do really, really well. And they focus on those things. The people that I know that have made it to like half a million, they figured out the two or three things that they do really, really well. And they just focus on those things. And those people that break a million dollars, they figured out the one thing <laughs> they're really, really good at. And that's all they do. Right. Mm-hmm. And they figured out how to not do anything else because in anything else is diluting their ability to do that thing that generates the ultimate value. So you know, whether, whether you're going to do that to optimize a solo practice or whether you're going to do that as a company to figure out how to scale, the same principles, right? Like one of the things I do when I come in and, you know, working with a company, maybe five, 10 million in revenues, and we want to get to a couple hundred million in revenue, you got to figure out well, what, what do you do and what do you not do? Because if you're chasing too many customers, if you're chasing, if you're providing too many products and services, we'll never be able to build sort of the repeatable, scalable processes around sales and marketing and position and delivery that are going to allow us to do that. It's just going to take a very long time and, and it's going to be very complicated because we're trying to do too many things for too many people and, and that's not scalable. It's not, it's not a highly scalable model. So in, in either case, I think you're, you're down to this making strategic choices, really figuring out where do you deliver, where do you deliver exceptional value and, and what are the choices you need to make around strategic focus and operations and people to then be able to execute on that? And that I usually use the word restraint. I'm constantly banging the word restraint over people's heads. It's like you might have five really good ideas and you have to let four of them go if you mm-hmm. want to do this well. And that's kind of the hardest part, right? Emotionally or that's one of that's what I see people struggle with. Yeah, I usually, you know, oftentimes when I unpack that, it, it, it comes down to a level of confidence. So, you know, I've got five great ideas. And yeah, I'm, I have one that I think is really, really good, but not not so good. I'm not so confident in it that I'm willing to let the other things go. And so I, typically I find it's kind of a psychological sort of psychology of hedging. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm not totally sure. So I want to keep these all in play. And, and if you really get into it, a lot of the work that I end up doing is just building the confidence of the team around that strategic positioning to the point where they're saying, all right, we're ready. We're, we're ready to jettison these other things or let them go, put them aside so we can double down on this, this, the top one that we are now confident we can scale. And some of it is kind of the strategy. Like a lot of the work I do is, you know, really figuring out what are the customer needs, really figuring out what does the market look like, really identifying that white space. Like what are the attributes that when really own? And when they start to see that and they see, oh, wow, there's really an opportunity here and it's really clarified for them that that gives them confidence. I mean, that's like, Ooh, we could own this thing. This is now exciting and it's very clear. And, and when we can turn that into operational kind of, okay, how do we own that space? Well, here are the things we need to do. And it's, it's not a thousand things, right? It's, it's maybe eight to 12 
key operational capabilities that would give them a chance to do that. Now, now all of this becomes kind of doable, right? Like they see a plan, they see a process, they see a roadmap, they see a schedule, and, and now they can execute on a schedule. It's like, oh, okay, this has gone from sort of pie in the sky to I kind of see what I need to do over the next 12 quarters, over the next you know three years. That's doable, right? It's, it's now in, not only do we have a vision, but we've got a real plan to execute against. So simplify to multiply. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. so there right now. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts to hear you say that. Yeah. I, I, I've okay. been so focused and, and specific at points in my business. I'm still reaping the benefits of when I was super focused years ago even. Yeah. But but I, we're all evolving, right? And got yeah, you're, you're always evolving. And, and it's, there is, I mean, there's a human nature of, you know, humans love change, right? Human, or I shouldn't say that. Humans love sort of novelty, New. newness, right? So there, there is definitely kind of a, a, a force that we have to figure out how to grapple with, which is the, you know, it can get a little mundane, right? The, mm -hmm. the idea of doing the same thing, focusing on one thing for the next three years, five years, and doing it again, again, highly repeatable process, that's highly scalable, but can also be a little daunting or a little boring from, a, you know, from an individual right. point of view, right? So, you know, a lot of it is we have to find other ways to, to create challenge and create newness within that framework that, yeah, while we are going to be focusing on a particular strategic position, a product or service, or a value that we're delivering, being able to scale that now becomes the challenge, right? Like I've got to learn new things. I've got to operate at new levels. You know, running a 20-person organization is much different than a 200-person organization. Okay, that becomes the newness. That becomes the challenge that I have as an individual that helps me self-actualize and figure out like what is what is my growth, you know, about personal and professional growth, you know, over the next couple of years. That that becomes some of the targets. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I usually try to tell people who don't want to specialize, even though they're struggling, I mean, struggling to get clients. And I say, you know, they're like, oh, but if I specialize, then it's going to get boring. I'm like, you know what's not boring? Not struggling so hard to get <laughs> clients, you know? Having lots of clients who respect you and want to pay you lots of money to do what you do best. And you can, I always call it Mr. Miyagi-ing it, like you can find the, the newness and the difference in iterating on the one thing over and over again and making yeah. it better and better to your point like that's where Absolutely. the newness comes but at a certain point i guess I, that's the experience i had like iterating made it better it got it got it was stayed interesting because it kept getting better and i kept working on it and honing it but at a certain point it was almost like well i did this so i could do lots of other things so then I went and did all those other things. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like you're doing, like you've got your hands in a lot of things. I've got all kinds of little investment type things on the side too that are fun yeah. to do. I mean, yeah. you got to know yourself and know what you want to spend your time doing. Yeah. Just to your point, like even these CEOs, well, how do you want to spend your time? Do you want to grow yourself as a leader? Or do you want to be in the business and be a technician? Like yeah. neither is the right answer. Yeah. Right. Well, the other one I do a lot is, you know, any, any time I sit down with, uh, you know, CEO, and we kind of, they, they want to hire me to scale the business and we kind of go through all those strategy stuff. I, I typically start with this question of, okay, so we're, we're 10 years out, you've scaled the business, then what? Right? And, and what I'm looking for is a real like, well, why, personally, like, why do you want to scale the business? Like, what is it going to get you? And if that, if it's tough to answer that question, I usually want to spend some time trying to figure out some answers to that question before we spend a whole lot of time scaling the business. Because a, a lot of times, it's kind of this, this the, the 
tragedy of success where as they get co- close to actually achieving some of these goals, if they don't have the reason behind it and what, what it's going to get them, they will start undermining the process, right? Because they realize that it's like, oh, well, I don't have anything else to do. This classic is, you know, we get close to a sale, right? Like we've built the business, we get close to a sale, you know, we're in the last couple of weeks of trying to close a deal and, and they start throwing terms into the deal, things they want in the deal. And it's just like, what is going on? And, it, and you realize it's because they don't want to sell. Like psychologically, I mean, they, they intellectually want to sell, but emotionally, psychologically, because they don't have any plan of what they're going to do next. And they're so tied into the business, they'd rather undermine the sale so they can have the business and continue working on things than sell the business and be in the position of like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. So that's why I spend so much time in the beginning with these folks, particularly if we've got, you know, a sale in the next, you know, two years, three years, we've got to create some kind of next phase for them fairly well defined so it can be a pull right like they're they're interested in selling business so they can move on to this other thing because otherwise it can be kind of a cluster yeah i can completely see that i've tried to answer that question many times it, and it usually has to do with i want to be able to build more businesses yeah which is fine <laughs> right? so again I'm, I'm looking for enough of a motivation that that is a pull right that mm-hmm. gets them interested enough and say like, yes i'm done with it i'm ready to move on from this i'm ready to sell this i'm ready to you know trans transition this in some way you know whether they're going to move it to a chairperson role or something or they're going to actually sell the business or going to they're going to put in place a leadership team and they're just going to retain ownership but not in the management position but they've got to go do something else we have to find something else for them to do that's engaging and that might be starting another business. It might be a nonprofit. It might be just some other life interest activity that they're going to do. But it's got to be a pull. Like we've mm-hmm. got to create something that they're now ready to go off and do and excited by. So you built, scaled, and sold a business. Did you have the why you wanted to do it? And was it what you're doing now? <laughs> it's interesting. I've, so I've talked about this a couple of times on different programs. The, the short answer is no in the sense of... I, I found that I was probably emotionally done with my business about three years before I sold it. And, and because I didn't have that next step figured out, I kind of hung on to it for at least a year, maybe two, maybe even three years too long. I probably could have sold it a couple of years earlier. Or I personally probably went better off selling it a couple of years earlier. And I ended up kind of reaching the point of, of realizing that I was emotionally done. And while I didn't have the next thing co- totally figured out, I, I needed to just get out of this thing because I, I, was, I, was, I was becoming more of a liability than I was a, of an asset in the company. So I realized I need, I need to move on from this thing, e- even if it was kind of going into the unknown and then figuring things out. And I did, uh, I did a couple interim CEO roles and you know, kind of experimented with some things and kind of played around for a little bit. And the coaching thing kind of found me, I mean, you know, I'd always love coaching and there was something about coaching for me that really was passionate. It, it activated kind of some core values for me and, you know, I had some key skills around it. So when the coaching model kind of came to me a little bit, Vern basically sort of, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, look, you've been a coach, you're, you're scaling up. You're like, we need scaling up coaches. You think about doing this. I was like, okay, let me give this a try. And, and that then very quickly became like, yeah, I want to build this business. I want to build this practice. This is what I want to do for, you know, the next 10 years at least. So yeah, it was, it was a little, it wasn't completely strategic and thought out. And it's one of the reasons that I do this now with the people I work with, because I realize how messy it can be, but it, you know, it's, you know, sometimes there's in a clear next step. Sometimes it's, there is a little bit of a journey. Sometimes you get to have to get out of this, the situation before you can really start thinking about what is next, but to the extent that you can and really do that inner work and understand 
understand what is driving you, what is motivating, what's going to self-actualize, the better you're going to be able to find that next step. What does your week look like right now since you have a couple of different things going on? You've got two different podcasts. How did you end up in cannabis? Yeah. So the cannabis is interesting. Well, to answer your question, my week is kind of crazy at times, but I realize I love that. Like I, I, I think, I, I, don't, I guess we can't do screen shares here, but I, last week I had, I wish we could do a count, probably somewhere between 50 and 60 meetings. Oh my uh, goodness. Because I've, so I, I do all this kind of time management stuff, but I've, I've mastered the art of the 15 minute meeting. So like all my podcasts and even, even prospects for coaching stuff, I always start with a 15 minute meeting because it, it forces both of us to kind of cut the chase on wh- like, what do we need to know? What do we need to talk about? And, and wh- what, what do we need to talk about in order to decide whether or not we're going to have another meeting? Uh, it's because I find what I found personally was I had all these half an hour, hour meetings. And within 10 minutes, we kind of either knew where we were going to do something or we we're not going to do something but we still have 50 minutes on the schedule. So we like would fill the time. So I do a lot of meetings uh, in terms of how I got into cannabis is actually a good stra- strategy story where I decided about, well, personally, like six years ago, broke my back. They gave me a big bottle of Percocet. A friend of mine said, you should try pot. And I, you know, was interested in not using so much Percocet. And so I got into it and I was athlete in high school and college. And I really not, never got into it previously, N- not nothing against it, just never part of my lifestyle. So, but it was fascinating. Uh, it just helped me manage pain. It helped me with sleep, all these kind of factors. So there was kind of this personal awakening around it. I was like, I really need to understand this better. Start talking to people and I'm talking to some entrepreneurs that were in the cannabis space, ended up coaching them a little bit, fascinated by both the sort of the, the, the business of the plant, but also the industry and what's going on in the industry. So I started the podcast as really a strategic decision to say, hey, look, I'm looking at my coaching practice. There's a lot of coaches out there, a lot of coaches not too dissimilar to me, having been founder CEOs and you know training these various platforms. What am I going to do to be different? I realized that I could kind of handle the cannabis community. I could operate in that space fairly well. I could the, the, the stuff I did, the strategic coaching that I did was sorely needed in cannabis. And I saw all these similarities between what we were doing in Agile, early stage Agile company when, you know, not many people knew about Agile and we were trying to figure out how to bring it to market and a lot of interest, but a lot of uncertainty. Same thing was going on with cannabis. A lot of interest, a lot of uncertainty. How do we bring it to market? How do we explain it? How do we figure out these strategic opportunities in a really dynamic market? So I just decided to double down on it. And we created the podcast, really build out the network, really steep myself in the space of like what's going on in cannabis. What does cannabis mean? What are the facets of the industry? And, you know, the first 30 episodes were basically just calling people in cannabis, say, hey, would you be willing to do a podcast? Right. And they were like, sure, why not? Right. It's still pretty early. And I didn't know what I mean, I, I didn't know much about cannabis at that point. Right. So I had to do some reading. I had to ask, figure out how to ask questions in a way that were in some respects, it helped me with this kind of beginner mind. Like I didn't know much, so I could ask questions that were reasonably insightful that didn't make a whole lot of assumptions. And once I kind of understood things more and more, I could carry that forward. And those guests got me to other guests. And we've done, I don't know, 280 episodes now, I think, on on the Cannabis Podcast. And, and we've had some of the big players, right? We've had some of the big CEOs. And Andrew D'Angelo was one of the big uh, social justice uh, folks in the in the space, and we've we've covered everything and some pretty sensitive, some pretty um, dynamic topics around the space. But it was a choice. It was just as a coach, 
I was like, I need, I need some kind of differentiation, some kind of focus that's going to be different. And honestly, you know, most of the coaches like me are a little bit older and probably wouldn't touch cannabis with a 10 foot pole. Mm-hmm. Right. So I saw an opportunity to do what I do in a space where other people that do what I do probably wouldn't be as comfortable operating and you go for it. Right. Sure. And it's worked so out quite well. Does that mean that you specialize in working with cannabis companies? So about half my business at this point is cannabis related. I mean, and so look, I mean, the, the strategic work that I do, I mean, the, the frameworks, the processes, Applies the, to everything. it's not that yeah. different, right? You right. know, it, it's, it's, it's coaching, it's strategic coaching. But the thing that is different is because of some of the dynamics of the cannabis industry and the regulatory environment, and there, there is some kind of underlying kind of science and or lack thereof, really understanding how the plant works and some of the industry kind of dynamics that I happen to know quite well that does allow me to provide sort of additional insights and kind of frameworks for working with cannabis companies that other coaches that didn't know cannabis wouldn't be able to do nearly as well. But it's the same process, right? I mean, the, you know, we're still talking about differentiation. We're still talking about attributes. We're still talking about, you know, creating operational capabilities, building out leadership teams. You know, cannabis has some challenges around the regulatory side, around the talent side. You know, there's still a stigma around it. It's tough to find you know, seasoned business folks that are willing to get into cannabis. So, you know, that creates some challenges, but, you know, it's it's not that different than any other dynamic industry. Well, that's going to change quickly. I mean, two weeks ago in New York City is, whew, just sitting in a cloud of smoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Walking down the street in Brooklyn, yep. it is not illegal anymore here. It's pretty crazy. Does that completely change your opportunities? I mean, you knew it was coming. Uh, yes, uh, yes and no. I mean, so I... I mean, I you think know, you can I, have a, like a pound of pot on you or something. Yeah. Not not a pound, but something crazy. I think, I think it's two ounces. In maybe. New York City. So the work that I do typically is with companies that are, you know, five to 10 million in revenues already. And we're looking at a couple hundred million in revenue. Like I work on that sort of that growth phase, that growth period. Yeah. So there's not there's not that many companies right now in cannabis that are at that five to 10. So it's going to be a little while before... You know, we have this now new wave of companies that are at, you know, several million dollars in revenues and they're trying to scale. It, it will happen, but it's, it's going to there's going to be a delay. M- most of the stuff that's happening right now is around licensing and getting things up and running and, you know, fundraising. And I mean, there's and I mean, there's a whole thread of how they do licensing and why and what works and what doesn't and social justice and equity licenses and stuff. So there's, there's a lot of sausage to be kind of ground and made in, in the politics of this before it really hits the ground and we get dispensaries in New York, New Jersey. But yeah, no, it's, I, I mean, like I said, I, I made a strategic decision several years ago saying, look, I, this, this, this is going to be a big growing industry for the next decade, at least. That's right in line with what I want to be coaching with. I'm going to you know, create some assets, invest. And I'll, you know, the first year it was a slog, right? Trying to create the podcast, create the content. You know, there were times, I guess there was never a time I was like, oh, I should do this. I would, there was lots of times where this is hard and there wasn't always clients, you know, knocking at your door. But, you know, two, three, four years later, you know, I'm now well-known and positioned enough in the industry where I, I mean, like I, I've got a backlog of probably 50 to 60 guests that I haven't even gotten to that want to be on the podcast, right? So. Wow. So when you get to that level of kind of input, then you can then then it becomes a source of, you know, clients for coaching. Wow. So let's dissect that for a second, because that is such a perfect example of what anyone listening could do in their niche, which is and and how long it took you. I mean, you went hard on this. You the podcast was your main source of authority building. Yeah, absolutely. You started you said the first 30 episodes 
30 episodes, guys. 30 episodes. Oh, yeah. We're just feeling your way around. Yep. And it took at least a year or two to start really getting that momentum. But you stayed with it consistently. And now you've created this foundation in the market. Yep. I mean, you own the real estate. And that was yep. the plan. The thing that I realized... Yeah, yeah, it was hard. And, the you know, I'll probably say the first 50 episodes were just like a lot of work. And, and the first, you know, 10, 15, you know, I probably spent an hour prepping for each one. I had notes and things like that. I mean, not 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 to let too many cats out of the bag. You know, like now, like, I don't even look at the guest before, you know, before the episode starts. Right. Like I, I pull up I pull up the calendar invite that I have here and I have a whole system that schedules things. And I look at the guest then I kind of figure out the questions that I think I'm going to ask and I let it roll. And I find that those are the best episodes. And yeah. it took me a while to kind of get to that point. But that's what the first episodes, first 50 episodes were, is just getting comfortable with the process. I think the thing that I realized when I was kind of figuring out how do I want to build this authority, what kind of content do I want to cr- create, the the podcast sort of tapped into a couple of things that I realized I, I was good at and, and enjoyed. I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoy interviews. I enjoy one-on-one. And while I, I, like I write for Inc. and stuff like that, I enjoy writing. Writing is a lot more work for me. And so thinking about something that could flow much more naturally, the podcast was this kind of Venn diagram of, of things that I was good at, things that was going to be reasonably easy to do, that was going to create good content, you know, that I could leverage in different ways. Uh, and so, you know, even when it was hard, I still enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. I think that was, that was key to making that work. I think if it was, if I didn't enjoy it at some level, I, it would have been much harder to get past that, you know, episode 50. Now, now like I said, it, this is, it's the funnest part of my day, right? Like I yeah. just, I'll schedule podcast days and it just, I'll, I'll do eight podcasts in a day. Yeah, that's a great uh, point. I, anything, it's, it's going to be a slog, anything that's new at first because it's new. New things are hard. You have a lot to learn. You're not an expert. I think mm-hmm. most people in business are used to being really good at something. <laughs> Right, we're used to being an expert yeah. in what we're doing, and now you go into the authority building, the content building, and you got to learn from scratch. You had the benefit of already having a lot of credibility in the business space, and yeah. you were already a business scaling coach, yeah. so you had a business that was supporting you, so you could do this. I mean, the business I have now is vastly different than the business I had then when I started the podcast. When I first started coaching as a strategic coach, seven, say seven years ago, and the first year was just kind of figuring out what I was doing, right? Like kind of transitioning from of agile into more business coach. I was doing a lot of, you know, half day free sessions for entrepreneurial friends of mine and just kind of feeling my way through, figuring out kind of learning the content, figuring out what I wanted to do with the content. And I think within that first year, I kind of, I knew kind of the style and I knew the kinds of things I wanted to coach, how I wanted to run my coaching session. So a lot of first year was just figuring things out. Second year, you know, you start making some money, but you know, it's, it's competitive, right? Like you're having to compete with other coaches pretty head to head, you know, your rates are just not nearly that high or, you know, there's a lot of pressure on rates. You're, you're, I think internally you're thinking about your rate a lot, right? It's like, oh, well, like, ooh, can I charge this much? Like you, there's a lot of internal angst around rates and things like that. Hold on. Can and, I ask and, you a question before you go on? At yeah. this point in this first and second year, because you had built and scaled the business, you had credibility. What size business were you working with and going after then? Yeah. So when I first started, there were probably, you know, million dollar businesses, $2 million businesses, which 
you know, I knew very, very well. Like I, I, I had been there years ago. I kind of knew the dynamics. It was, it was easy for me to kind of have authority having been through that phase. Mm-hmm. And, but, but the challenge was, is that they, the value that I could create for a business like that was not as significant as I needed or wanted it to be. Meaning with the rates that I could charge, my, my kind of theory has always been, I, I want to be able to show some kind of return somewhere between five to 10 X over the next two to three years. Right. So if I look at what I'm charging the company, I should have some kind of way of doing some math of saying, all right, well, if you're a million, we take you to 2 million. And if you're at a 5% profit margin, we can take it a 10% profit margin. You know, what does that drop to the bottom line? I should be charging somewhere between 10 and 20% of that for my services. So the problem is when you do that math, that's not, I mean, that that's a certain number and that's not the number I ultimately really wanted to be at. So when I was, as I kind of thought through like, okay, where do I need to build this business? I needed to do two things. One is I need, I needed to be more strategic. I needed to distinguish myself from other business coaches and I needed to start working with bigger companies, right? So as I kind of built the podcast or I was looking at the podcast as, uh, you know, a thought leadership, authority marketing strategy, uh, I knew that cannabis was going to give me that differentiation. And then within that, I needed to focus on, on bigger businesses and, and which is, you know, and, and some of that was, how I network and who I was interacting with. And quite honestly, some of it was just what I was charging. I mean, I, I was doubling my fees for a little while until people just started saying no. And, and that's when I started to realize, okay, good. Now I'm probably at the right level now. And these days now, you know, fortunately it's, you know, I can give out my fee and if that, if it doesn't work for them, I, you know, I said, look, I totally understand, you know, give me a call when you think that you're at the right spot, right? Cause I, I'm going to have two more calls later this afternoon. You know, and, and so that that ends up putting you in a very different psychological position than, okay, I have to work with this client. Now I got to figure out wh- what fee would they pay? That That's where I was before. And now it's the reverse, which is nice. Right. Which is really easy in hindsight also to tell people that's oh, not absolutely. how you can do it. But when you're there, it's a yep. really hard mindset to get out of. Yep. But also if you are looking at, okay, I want to be working with $50 million companies and I'm working with $2 million companies. What is, I, I hear the strategy of, of differentiation with the cannabis. Are there any other strategies? Because it, on the one hand, especially for people who are in coaching or business consulting or any, anything like that, it's, it seems like a natural progression to go into that space based on your own experiences. You've built a business to a certain level, you can advise on that. It seems like a harder leap, and I'm curious what the strategies are, to go to start coaching somebody that's building a business that you haven't built. Yeah. And and it doesn't have to be business. It could be a lot of things. But I, yep. I meet a lot of people who are coaching on things that they've never really done. And I'm so curious how you is that is that okay? Is that possible? How do you get there? And what's the strategy to get there? Yeah, I, I think it's totally possible. I think it's totally okay. I think the the two things that I realized I had to do is is figure out what what the new and different problems were at that level. Right. So the problems at, you know, one to two million dollar company are very different than the problems at a five to ten million dollar company are very different than a 50, very different than 100. Right. And so really understanding what are the problems you have at these these, these different levels. And, and if I started talking to a 50 million dollar company CEO and I started talking about million dollar problems, I wouldn't resonate. Like I had to figure out what are the problems that a CEO has at $50 million. And I have to start talking about those things. So one is you have to figure out like, wh- what are those conversations you need to have? And two, you know, is figuring out how to keep laddering up 
those conversations or lettering up the work that you're doing, it, it's it's much easier to be talking. So like right now, if I was talking to a $500 million CEO, I would be leveraging the things I know about the CEOs I work with that have $250 million companies, right? It would be like, okay, I can kind of extrapolate pretty well from $250 million to $500 million. Right? I, can, I, can, I can probably speak reasonably authoritatively at that level. I, I can't go from a million to 500 million, right? There's just, there's too many gaps there for me to be able to cover. So, so over time I've, you know, I took all the knowledge I have of, you know, having a $10 million company and I could talk to the 20, 25 million. And as I started working to a 20, 25 million, then I could talk to the 50. As I started working with 50s, I can talk to the 75 to the 100, right? Like it's, it's, you know, I can, I can always make, I can always extrapolate one step and I just need to figure out how to keep laddering that up. All right. And so I think that a, Knowing what those problems are and then figure out how to extrapolate from where you are now to that next level will allow you to make that incremental change. That that, that's what I found I always do. I tell people you want to work with premium mm -hmm. clients. That is the goal, right? This is yeah. this is unsustainable without premium clients, especially when you're a small business. You just can't do it, right? You can't yeah. be affordable. That doesn't mean you can be you can work your first client can't be premium. <laughs> you have to work your way up. It's the same exact thing. You have to kind of build on the next and the next to get to those more and more seasoned businesses who are willing to pay those prices. Because I think as you beautifully outlined, the the benefit that they're going to reap has to be somewhat there has to be a ratio of what they're going to get based on what you're charging. And you have to so a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you like in branding, for example, how do you really calculate the ROI of what they're going to get? And I can give you some ideas, but we can't actually do it on paper. There's only so much that I can do. You have to take it. You have to take the ball the rest of the way. I can take you to yeah. a certain place. But just even the idea that I could do a back of the napkin calculation, you know, if I do branding for you and you're able to charge 20% more even, and that's being, you know, very conservative, how much mm -hmm. does that come out to over the course of a year? Okay, well, then it's more than worth it, right? Like we can do easy calculations like that, but we're still, we're still, I don't want to say making it up, but it, well, it's so, I mean, if, if we kind of get into sales, the thing I've learned about sales, pe people make decisions emotionally and justify them logically, right? So I know when I'm having a sales conversation, I, I need to connect with that CEO to the point where he or she is, feels like I want to work with this person, right? Like I need to make that emotional connection. And that, and that you can do that lots of different ways and, and you know, different strategies. But that's my first job. I've got to I've got to connect with them. Then I have to give them the tools and the data that they need to justify that decision, right? So it doesn't need to be, you know, it doesn't need to be a spreadsheet down to the you know hundredth decimal point, right? It just needs to be enough logic in that in that math for them to be able to say, oh yeah, no, that that makes sense. That's logical. That, that justifies my decision I basically have already made that I want to hire you. Now, now I've got the, the rationale. So, you know, sometimes I'll do a little, they do it on a spreadsheet, but a lot of times it's just a napkin or it's a conversation. I say, well, like, what are your revenues right now? Oh, we're $20 million. Okay. What, and roughly what's your profit margin? I mean, like you 5%, 7%, 10%, like eh, we're 7.5% roughly. Okay, great. So, you know, you're dropping, you know, a million and a half to the bottom line right now in a $20 million business. So 
if we could take this, if we could double this over the next three years, we could take this 40 million, and we could take it from seven and a half to 10%, right? Two and a half percent increase, like not certainly very doable. I mean, lots of companies have done this. Now, now we're talking 10% on a 40 million, we're, we're dropping $4 million to the bottom line, right? So we're adding three and a half million dollars to the bottom line. So if I'm going to charge you $100,000 a year, it's really going to be 300,000 for a couple of years. Like that's, that's 10% of what we can drop. So even if it's a possibility, there's enough math, there's enough logic there that someone's going to be like, oh, okay, I've, I've, I've checked that box. I've, I've given them the rationale to then go back to their emotional decision. Yeah, like let's do this. Right. But if I don't do that, if I don't give them the rationale, then, then I'm leaving that up in the air and that's, that, that's risky. You're just, they're, they're probably not going to do that math on their own. So I need to kind of give that that mental framework. Hmm. Yeah. And it's really nice to be able to do that off the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, I'll keep cheat sheets. I mean, you know, I may grab my, yeah. cal- I may just grab, like I keep a calculator by my desk and I'll yeah. do it. Like, okay. So you're, you know, $10 million company. I'll show them the 3%. So you're roughly doing that. Right. So right. You, you don't, you don't have to be, yeah. you know, well, it's a, also a easy wizard. with, with 20 million and 40 million. Those numbers yeah. are really fun to play with. It's a lot harder at a smaller, but, but make yeah. it easy for them too. Right. Yeah, Cause it's absolutely. not just easy for you. Like mm-hmm. you, you're just, you're trying to try to make it super easy for them to see the, the justification. Well, what's funny is I, uh, if you use that kind of, if you're using those kinds of logic, I mean, I, every investment I make, I use that kind of logic because any investment is going to increase any investment that's worth investing in is going to increase your revenue and profit in some way. So it's really easy to spend money on your business, which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, I feel like I invest freely because of that. If you just can see that connection and actually as helpful as this is, I, I never use those numbers actually when I'm selling our services, but I, I actually find them to be very helpful for people when they're investing in their businesses. Like mm-hmm. I want to teach people to think about building and investing in themselves and their businesses in that way. So as an example, like I've done speaking, I've done a lot of speaking coaching, right? I have mm-hmm. a speaking coach. You can't really tie any specific number to it, but it's like, but yeah, if I can show up and have just a little more authority, have people respect me just a little more in like a couple of different places over the course of a year, is that not going to be worth this? Of course it is. You know, and everything kind of becomes that that obvious conclusion. Of course it's worth it. Yeah. All of these things are worth it. Well, and I think the other thing is you start to look at these opportunities as how could I make it worth it, right? So if I'm going to yes. have a speaking event or a speaking opportunity, it's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe, maybe... Maybe there's some someone in the audience that may want to hire me, you know. But maybe there's someone that's going to watch the replay. Oh, okay, that's becomes a little more interesting. Well, maybe I could use the fact that I'm speaking to send it out to my network and activate my network and get some interest. Oh, okay, now that becomes a little more interesting. Or maybe I could go out to a couple of the prospects that I've kind of been talking to, invite them. Now I've activated them. I've pushed them a little farther down it. Right. So it, it now becomes this: how can how can I see an opportunity that's coming at me and figure out all the different ways I could leverage it. You know, can I, can I take that event? Can I do a reel on it? And now I could post that in some way and use that as a marketing piece. Could I, could I make an article? Could I have someone take what I say there and create a content piece out of it that I can push, right? Like you, you start to see ways of leveraging these things that are going to impact your business, right? Because there are, there are lots of ways to leverage your business. You're just going to need to figure out how to connect the dots on some of these things. Well, so what's next for you, Bruce? 
the coaching has become a, a great platform, you know, not only for me, you know, personally and financially, but has given me some great access to really, really interesting companies, really interesting CEOs. And particularly in the cannabis space, I think is really where the next big play is. And, and leveraging just my network, the the knowledge that I have, both doing a little bit of a media play. I've got a couple opportunities to take the podcast out and actually do a media platform against it. I don't know what that means. Oh, doing doing programming, paid programming around in the cannabis space based on the network I have in the in in the business world in cannabis, whether it's TV, radio, things like that. So leveraging that gotcha. network and that asset into a media, a, a for-profit media play. The other one is doing, you know, as a coach, typically I'm taking, I'm just taking straight up fees. There are opportunities to do more equity-based coaching, either straight up equity or doing more of a private equity model where you come in, take minority majority positions in these companies, you know, with a fund, with a group, and then basically use the coaching work I do to create increased valuations, right? And, and take take the profit on that side, right? So when, once you build kind of this network and these platforms, you can come up with much more leveraged ways of, I mean, if, so so that calculation of, well, if I, if I take a company from 20 to $40 million, I'm not making my 10% fee, you know, I'm making the the increase in equity. I get 10% cut of the increase of valuation that we're making, right? So, you know, there's ways of kind of leveraging these things up and, and taking work you do, just finding a different business model that's going to be a much more leveraged, but obviously much more profitable way of getting the value out of things. That is fascinating. I want to be you in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> How no fun. You can't. How no fun. You can't. I love yeah. it. All these different, I mean, that's, you know, when you think, what do you want to do in 10 years if you build your business and get all the stuff? It's like, oh, I just want to do what you're doing, which is just more of this stuff and playing mm-hmm. with different ideas and well, and I, honestly, people. I, mean, I, and... I, I get these ideas because I've talked to other people that have done this, right? So, you know, cool. it's, there's no there's no new idea under the sun. It was just... <laughs> well, you're that person for me, Bruce, and I appreciate having I'm you honored. around and having you in my life. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for coming on the show and for sharing all of your wisdom. You. Super yeah. fun. Great catching Anytime. up. Thank you. Thank you. If you're in the position where you want to level up your business and you either have a team or you want to grow a team, then go to Eckfeld.com backslash dream team, which will help you answer the question, do you have the right team for your business strategy? I will link to this in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. Taking inspiration from Bruce today. Do you know what you really want from your business? The life you want, how you want to spend each day, what you want to be doing on a weekly basis. You might not have that business today or anything that even looks remotely like it. But if you want to get there in the next three to five years, the best step that you can take is to get crystal clear on what you really want. Not just, I want more money, or I want more freedom, or I want more success, but actually, how do you want to spend your hours each and every day? And who do you need to be surrounded by in order to get there? Strategic thinking and planning is something most small business owners don't do enough of, but getting that clarity can set you up for success. And really, You aren't going to get where you want to go if you don't know exactly where you're going. So let today's episode inspire you to sit down and dream a bit and then put that dream down into a concrete reality. Then go find resources to help you get there faster. And that might just be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. 
production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wasterball. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. Western Runners.